And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. We are inside Old Trafford and we are reacting to Manchester United 3, Arsenal 1. Brilliant, wasn't it? What a super Sunday that was. We've got a full house with us as well. This is cosy. There's four of us all squeezed around <laughs> a table in the press box inside an empty Old Trafford. There's people emptying rubbish. Harry Maguire's playing football with his kids on the pitch and there's a couple of international journalists just finishing off their work but we've got a full house of Laurie Whitwell, Andy Mitten and Carl Anker. That was quite good Carl wasn't it? Oh I did enjoy that. I am just of the age and generation where counter-attacking wins over Arsenal hits so sweet. Hmm. I really really enjoyed that, properly enjoyed that. Yeah I've written down Manchester United pop Arsenal's perfect star Andy Mitten. A good Arsenal team, top of the league. I thought they played really well, actually. I was very surprised, A, that Manchester United won the match. Mm. I would have taken a draw throughout so many parts of that game. But another top uh, game at Old Trafford, the atmosphere was bouncing. You could feel it before the game. People are up for it again now. Four straight wins. It's just, it's, I hate to say it's becoming normal. It's enjoyable that it is, but four straight wins for the first time since, what, April 21? Great. For those keeping score at home, Andy has once again called an opposition team a good side, but this time they've won. <laughs> I think they were an excellent side. Maybe I thought they played well as well. Yeah. Maybe I'm getting carried away. I mean, I thought, you, I thought United um, were good in the first ten minutes, but Martinelli's a top player. Um, Saka um, is a fantastic player. They're top of the league for a reason. Laurie, Andy made a great point there. You could feel the atmosphere inside Old Trafford. The the, the sort of sense of how fans were feeling throughout that game and the more the match went on especially when those two goals went in in the second half there's a real sense of belief growing isn't there? Yeah I think it was similar to the Liverpool game really where the atmosphere in, in terms of what I mean because you had the comeback from Arsenal you know the disallowed goal that kind of set the mood you know it kind of had that feel to it the game where there was ebb and flow there was uncertainty there was you know kind of players making challenges that were kind of wild at times you know bit of bit of edge to it, it all proper added. united arsenal game yeah. yeah you had scott mctominay putting one in at, at one point lisandro martinez you know sometimes it was you know a little bit lucky that perhaps more didn't come from these fouls but it all added into a kind of proper atmosphere two good teams i thought going at it and yeah i, I thought arsenal were really good um but united had that in, incision you know arsenal had the purpose probably the, the more pressure overall um but united were just so clinical when it mattered and that the goal that was obviously changed the whole thing was was rashford's first and you had eric ten Hag talking to fred he's about to send him on he's about to make this you know tactical change clearly the goal came at a perfect time for that ten Hag turns to fred gives him a massive hug on the touchline which i thought was quite nice whilst everyone's you know bedlam is going on around him um but yeah yeah, a really solid performance that a really good 
relationships that are springing up on the pitch, I think, that, that bode well for the future. Yeah, building on what we were talking about after the game at Leicester, actually, in terms of the relationships between the players, building the little sort of triangles of, of shape and play, and it just looks so much better than it did even sort of two, three matches ago. What about Anthony, Carl? Did you enjoy his performance? I enjoyed his... Um, I was going to call it a celebration, but it was sort of like a collection of celebrations. <laughs> he almost ticked every celebration box that he could in 30 seconds. I think it was five celebrations in the end. That might need a... It might be a record for the quickest I've seen a player kiss the badge. So 35 minutes. I think you're right, yeah. 35 minutes into your club career for a club, you kissed the badge, fair enough. I think he kissed it several times, by the way, as well, and quite sort of vociferously. He, he was fun. He's, he's an excitable... Snog the badge, can we, can we yeah. coin that, maybe? Yeah, why yeah. not? He, he, he was really excitable. So... After the Leicester game, you mentioned, and Laurie mentioned about what Casemiro brings in that. He just brings that air of calm and everyone around him is like, oh, okay, I can slow it down. And I think Anthony brings this air of like, oh, I can have a go. This is great. So right off the opening kickoff, he chests the ball down, trying to get into Marcus Rashford and it goes off for a throw in. And he apologised to Rashford like profusely it was like my bad my bad it's okay it's okay it's okay i think he was a bit nervous at the start actually wasn't he yep he was and then it, it just they just grew and grew and grew there were two or three bits where and this will you'll see this a lot for for united this season with anthony's he will be able to keep the ball through situations where you'd expect him to lose it so there's a little moment in the first half where he had a double team and you know oh, he's gonna lose the ball now and he sort of smuggled it away to dallow gets a cross in for christian erickson that was impressive you're also going to see just a bit of the over eagerness too many mm. weird tackles and whatnot what i quite liked in the first half was a little moment from dallow uh, on an arsenal goal kick where he basically just kept yelling at anthony to like no drop deep just come left i want to stand this channel because zinchenko had basically run around Anthony's blindsided, but Dallow is keeping him, you know, switched on. And I think that would be fun as well. He's going to be. Uh, I haven't felt this way about United player since Nani was hearing Nani was good. Yeah, the, the, there is a little bit of Nani about him in terms of cutting in on his left foot, and there's a little bit of Riyad Mahrez about him. Although I'm not sure if his left foot is quite as cultured as Mahrez's. is. But there was promise in that display, Andy, and it says so much that Eric Ten Hag felt he could throw him straight into that sort of match in that sort of circumstance. I think it helps that he knows the player and what he's capable of. I think he knows he's a confident player. You talked about the link-ups. I thought he linked up well with Diogo Dalot, who pushed forward a lot. Uh, Carl used the word smuggle. I was going to say cul-de-sac, because you're thinking, how is he going to get the ball out of here? And he backheeled it towards um, Dalot. There was a little bit of showboating, which uh, it tallied with something someone from another club who'd, who'd looked at Anthony uh, about a year ago and said to me, um, you get more YouTube moments from that player from just about any player that we've looked at. And we saw that today where he's like, he was feigning, and fans love it, because football is only entertainment, isn't it? Yeah. But he didn't need to do it. Well, no, but, and then he just played a pass five yards backwards, yeah. didn't he? Which wasn't really where you thought he'd get with those skills. But all things considered, you have to say, a hugely positive debut. He's, he's got the goal, he's walked off at the end, he's been applauded off, and a great start. Plenty of people... Uh, don't have great debuts. Plenty of people wait a long time for their debuts. Well, Casemiro might be thinking, mm. why am I not starting? Why is this young mm. lad coming through? But a nice problem to have and uh, a very positive debut for him. So all good.
Yeah, Laurie, you wrote a piece on the final whistle, which must have been unusual for you to have to write so quickly. I mean, are you all right, first of all? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit frazzled, but I've calmed down now. Um, it took me back to my Daily Mail days where you used to have to file on 70 minutes sometimes if for a night game, you know, to get print deadlines in and then do a top and tail before the end of the game even. So I even had a little bit of, I had like a minute after full time that I was allowed to sneak in an extra Marcus Rashford answer. But yeah, wrote a little bit about Anthony. Um, and the, the point that I sort of felt was that he looked like he loved it. You know, the stage coming from Ajax to Man United, you'd probably think, is is that going to be... And the price tag and everything else, it can be a concern, the can't it? The price tag is a big thing, actually. Is that going to be daunting for him? We've already seen with Lisandro Martinez, he, he looks like he revels in this kind of atmosphere, this kind of platform. Anthony, I think, did the same. You know, he demanded the ball. He tried to do things with it. Yeah, not everything worked out. I think you'd rather have that than somebody that was too cowed by the situation. And clearly, he's got talent because, you know, you don't backheel it to a teammate for a chance that he then creates or finish in, in such a smooth way. Came off, uh, you know, uh, in the second half, didn't he? Because clearly, he's not been training with Ajax. He, I think his last game was like August the 14th or something. So, it's okay. a while. But Ten Hag said afterwards that the reason why he picked him was he knew the kind of energy that he could bring, um, exactly as Andy was saying, you know, because he's got that shared history from the last couple of years with him, he knows what he can get out of him, and then he can make the change later on. Um, you know, for a different player. Um, but it is interesting. We mentioned Casemiro, you and I, didn't we, before the game? You thought maybe he should start. I, I sort of thought I can see where he's going with Scott McTominay. He kind of reiterated after this game even that you know McTominay didn't do anything to deserve getting dropped. You know, he kind of had a couple of moments that you know handled Jesus pretty well. In the centre of the pitch, I thought, dispossessing him, um, had played a couple of decent passes. So I feel like that might be one that even develops further, you know, where Tanagi's kind of thinking, when can I actually put Casemiro into my starting lineup? But yeah, for Anthony, I think he he was that much more of an upgrade to what, you know, no, no offence to Anthony Langer, but I think that's what Anthony is supposed to be bringing. He, he is a much better version of what Anthony Langer possibly could become one day it's probably he's a good squad player I think Anthony Langer whereas Anthony is going in as a guy that can make a difference in a game the upgrade from Scott McTominay to Casemiro please don't shoot me down everybody that will say he's had five Champions League winners medals they're ready already I think I know I know um I, I, because Chris Casemiro will have to adjust a bit more, I think, to the Premier League than what Scott McTominay, he's already in it, he's, he's lived it, you know, his whole career. Casemiro's coming from La Liga, it's a slightly different pace, so, OK, a bit of time to settle is, is no big thing. I think you just broke the record for the most Anthony's in, a, in an answer there as well. That's going to happen this season. And Anthony Marshall was in the director's box, by the way, even though he's injured, he's here. Yapstam was here and he looked like a contract killer. He very much. You, you I know. interviewed him before the Liverpool game, and I have to say, he still got it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, there was a noticeable gap of separation every time he moved through the place. Everyone's like, oh, I'm just going to take an extra step backwards as he walked through. He's got like a little sockless look, and he's wearing sunglasses. And I, I wanted to shake hands with him, but as I got close, I went, maybe not. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not with this guy. <laughs> There was actually a fan that stopped him after he came up from pitch side before the game to get a selfie. And I looked at the, the pose that he was doing. I was like, I don't think he's going to be posting that selfie. I mean, maybe he will, but he, he was just looking so, so stern. It was like, you have one second of my time and no more. <laughs> it's like the Roy Keane school of selfies, that, isn't it? Just just stand there and look at the camera. There's no sense of smiling or anything. <laughs> you mentioned Keane. After the match, yeah. the Stratford end was singing for Roy Keane for a good 10 to 15 minutes. And I've got two feelings about that, mixed feelings, because... It's great that fans are staying behind, that the singing is a pretty new thing for fans to stay behind after a big win. It's only happened, it's only started happening like 19, 20. And um, Keane was obviously a great, great player and he was on the pitch in front. So you're also getting this extra show of former players pitch side after the game, not in a tunnel as it was pre-COVID, but actually on the pitch now. 
so fans can see them. So right in front of your eyes, there's Roy Keane. And then a player might come out and the fans who are staying behind are waiting. I remember one of the European games last year, they waited a long time for Cristiano Ronaldo to come out. And then uh, when they'd gone home, he, he walked out just at that time. Um, but I also feel um, that Keane, uh, those Keane songs started pretty much immediately after the final whistle. It, Keane didn't play in that game. The players who did play today were worthy of salute themselves. You know, Keane's history, uh, part of a great history. But there were plenty of players today who deserved to hear their uh, songs too. Marcus Rashford left the pitch at the end and it was really good to see the Stratford end singing for him as well because he's had some really difficult times. I thought the atmosphere was really good today here at Old Trafford. It's quite ironic when, where we sit in the middle of the main stand, you could hear the away fans singing, is this a library or one nil up and you still don't sing? But it was really loud. I thought that when they were singing about, is this a library? I was thinking, well, if you guys contributed as well and everyone went in together, it definitely wouldn't be a library. It sort of seems like a strange thing to sing in a sense. Especially coming from Arsenal, whose ground was known as the Highbury Library. <laughs> Perhaps that's why it was in the mines. Yeah, it was a good atmosphere. We should also say that there were still a lot of Glazer out chants in, inside Old Trafford Band today. Unfilled at full time yeah. as well, which it's worth mentioning you know there was a lot of conversation oh we didn't see any green and gold at full time no there was yeah, there very much was there definitely was yeah um right let's do it then let's talk about Marcus Rashford because like Andy said there wow we've been waiting for this haven't we we've been waiting for a return to what we know that Marcus is capable of um you wrote a couple of weeks ago actually Carl about about Marcus, about his best position amongst other things as well, but that was a real Marcus Rashford display. For some reason, he just saves it for Arsenal. <laughs> he does have a knack for scoring in the big occasions. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about his best position, and I think rather than get bogged down in that, we should just talk about what Marcus is good at. Now, he's very good when he runs in behind defences. And even when he's on the left, he's playing more as a second striker, and he's, his job is getting behind that defence and stretch it. He likes the ball to feet, if you give him that space, he's great. If you can't give him that space, he's not so good. And if you look today, he gets his goals because of the great work of Christian Eriksen and the ambitious passing of Bruno Fernandes to get that passing behind. And it doesn't really matter so much was he playing as a nine or was he playing as a left. It was, did those passes come in when he's running behind? And they because did. he could do it from either position. Yeah, and I think that's, that's going to be the thing with Marcus Rashford. And I think that will be the thing for him for most of the season is, is Ten Hag going to be open to... You know, tweaking his team to the point where he can keep creating those sort of transitional moments for Rashford to get those goals. Because and can Rashford put away those chances at a good enough rate to be worth it? Well, you sort of want Marcus to be at this level consistently as well, don't you? Because he was so good against Liverpool and he was really good again today. But in between that, he's had a couple of semi-forgettable performances on the road. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And it's that thing of he's got to keep running in behind. He's got to keep attacking those spaces. He's got to not be discouraged about attacking those spaces. And this isn't just a thing for Marcus Rashford as well. Anthony Martial can get easily dissuaded from running in behind as well. And I think this is, uh, you know, you talk, call it unitedness, that you've got to sort of scrub off. And I think you know, Rashford's beginning to get that off. I think Ericsson is going to help get that unitedness off. And I think Anthony will help doing that as well, because Anthony will just keep stretching the play on that right-hand side. And I think Sancho especially really enjoyed playing on the left-hand side and overlapping and coming into that right-hand side channel as well. This is not a United win over Arsenal in the same way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did it in the FA Cup back in the day. There was a structure here uh, that had a lot in common with Ajax around like 2018. So, you know, full-backs inverting. There's a lot of, again, overload one side, pull that to the other side, and then the, the person on the flank either pulls it back to the penalty area or gets that cross in. 
And I think, yeah, also Ericsson. I did not think he'd play this many minutes. I'm really glad he is. I keep waiting for him to be brought off. Every time they, they hand the card across to say who the changes, I keep saying, oh, it'll definitely be Ericsson. Oh, no, he's, he's staying on. And he didn't tire today. To me, he's looked like he's tired at times, but he didn't today. Yeah, he, he absolutely flagged against Liverpool in the 70th minute. There was a point in the Leicester game where he looked tired, but just kept going. And I was going, this is awkward because he's got to play again on Sunday. But this time, again, just he just brings uh, a sense of calm to that United pitch and there's been a lot of talk about Bruno Fernandes' best role and whatnot, and whether or not Bruno will ever learn how to calm down he I, won't I don't think he will he, I don't want him to he's, he's you know he's too long in the tooth and he was too successful being hot headed but I think Ericsson can be that calm sense for him and that makes it better Ten Hag's also spoken about how because Ericsson's in the field Bruno doesn't always have to make the final pass he can just receive it and then redistribute it which I think just helps everyone we started talking about Marcus then. One thing that struck me with the, with the first goal was his pace when he ran onto the ball. Rapid. Absolutely. I'd like to see it again. And Bruno tries them balls forward and they don't always come off because they're such risky balls. That one came off. It was a great goal. So just imagine yourself, because we're stood in the ground now. You run onto that ball, you're rapid, so you've got the ball and you look up and you've got a goalkeeper to beat and you've got, what, 17, 18,000 people in front of you. Eyes on. It must just be... Mad, mustn't it? I mean, it's something we're never going to have to experience. Well, well I, I have to. I say that like it's a negative. I do imagine it. The adrenaline is just pumping. And I, he finished it really well, and he needed it because it's been a tough couple of years, not a couple of months for him, a couple of years. So for him to score twice, and he set up Anthony's goal. I was going to say, I've, ri- I've written down here, every single United player touched the ball in the move for 1-0. 18 pass sequence in total and of course it was Marcus who got the assist. I mean that is what this manager is trying to instill in this team. It is and it's working and you can see what he's trying to do but it still feels fragile. I spent most of that game thinking Arsenal are better than us, Arsenal are better than us, they're going to score, they're better than us, we can't do that, Arsenal are better than us. Well at 1-1, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking for everyone here a little bit but it felt to me like the game was only going one way yeah. actually. Yeah and I would have taken 1-1 and that's one of the great things about football is that we can have these ridiculous conversations which mean absolutely nothing because no one on the <laughs> That's pitch podcast. No one on the pitch would have gone, wait a minute, there's someone up there who, who will settle for one one. Should we just call it a day now? You know? But ref, ref. But I think there was more of a progress than against Liverpool because even though United beat Liverpool, they had a lot more possession. United took the chances against Liverpool. I think United have had elements of luck in all of the wins. So it's just building these, these baby steps that continue to build and build and build. And United are now hitting the, the bare minimum, winning matches, um, the league table. I think United are fifth in the table now. It's just a long way from those couple of defeats at the start. I tweeted, I think when the third went in, United's goal difference is now zero. <laughs> so there's still a long, long way to go, both both in terms of the development of the team. But we, we knew that anyway. But gosh, we would have. I think we would have accepted at the start of the season four wins from the first six games, I would have said, yeah. 100%. 100%. I think the manner of the victory is the fact that you've beaten Liverpool and Arsenal as well at home, which feels like confidence builders. I mean, Liverpool was the turning point, really, wasn't it, for the for the, the early stage of this season anyway. Um, I think the other thing about today as well, was Casemiro not playing? I, I do think that that was a, a surprise. And I wonder, uh, this is probably doing Scott McTominay down a little bit, but his height is still really important in this team. I know we've sort of taken the mick out of people talking about players' heights so far this season, but 
I was looking at one of the early corners, and at one point, Tyrell Malassia was marking William Saliba. I mean, that is a concern, isn't it? And McTominay is pretty much as tall as it gets in this team. Yeah, he's. I mean, that's partly why he was brought in by Jose Mourinho. You know, heights and set pieces. You know, we talk about Mourinho's team of, of basketballers. Um, he certainly wanted a, a certain, um, you know, strength and, and physicality to his team, and, and McTominay brings that. But I do think it is a pertinent point when you've got Anthony. We, we noticed he, he is a you know a diminutive figure. Uh, Martinez, obviously, Malassia, as you say there. So it is a, a relevant point to, to bring up. But I do think beyond that, the, the speed that you know the Premier League is played at was a contributing factor to it today. You presume that Casemiro will start in the Europa League, right, against Real Sociedad? Yeah, I think so, although uh, I did say that about Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then hopefully it's like a developing thing. But it's nice to have these options, right, where you've got this high-quality um, squad of, of different personnel in, in you know, multiple positions. Um, because as Andy says, it, it, there has been elements of, look, you know, 1-0 away at Leicester, 1-0 away at Southampton, 2-1 against Liverpool, 3-1 here. Where Have you seen them go a goal down yet? I haven't seen United go a goal down in a little bit, and I think that will be the next test. I don't want United to go a goal down for a bit. Yes, I agree, because that really brought out the fragility at the start of the season, going behind early in games, didn't it? I thought we'd gone a goal behind when all the Arsenal fans were going <laughs> mental, and, well, and the Arsenal players were... Should were we have gone a goal behind? I, I think that shouldn't be overall person. I know I've, I've, I've not checked my Twitter, but I've been told by people that do um, <laughs> that uh, I've been getting hammered for saying that they shouldn't be overruling that because, for my money, the, the referee sees it in real time, makes a call there and then. The replay doesn't show anything that he wouldn't have seen right there, so you shouldn't be re-refereeing that, in my opinion. I think Ericsson got a little bit lucky. You know, Paul Pogba got hammered for losing the ball in those positions when he played, and I think he, I think he did the same thing there, Ericsson. And Ten Hag actually referenced it after the game and said, you know, he kind of got away with one a little bit. Um, you know, defensively he can improve. He also called his whole performance magnificent, which I think it was when you've got a guy that can take care of the ball and play those passes like he does. The burden isn't shouldered all on Bruno for that, but I don't think that kind of goal should be overruled on VAR personally. Type of goal is the type of goal United will be most vulnerable to throughout the season. So there will be a lot of times where United will have four men ahead of the ball around about halfway line and it comes to Ericsson or one of the deepest midfielders and they'll get depossessed and then they'll just, they'll just flood forward. Casemiro is, when Casemiro becomes a starter, it will be his job to stop that. Uh, Harry Maguire used to be the one to step out of defence and just stop that immediately. So I think what was quite telling for Martinelli's finish was how Dallow was scrambling back and then you know, sort of, I don't want to get a yellow card, but I'm trying to do whatever it can to, to get you off. So United will need to get better at tactical foul. And Maguire did have a bit when he came on where his first touch was getting a yellow card. And that was a, just <laughs> calm down, fella. Just calm down. Well, that was Casemiro. Casemiro gave the ball away. Yeah, so it was then two on two. And Maguire's thinking, I think I've got to do something here. I'll, you know, I thought that was a booking that he had to take personally because it was a, an attack. But um, yeah, so there we go. Casemiro does need to get up to speed after all. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Right, you may have uh, heard a slight change in the ambience around us because we've been thrown out of the press box at Old Trafford. Uh, the lads wanted to lock up and they were bigger than us, so we thought we'd better come outside. <laughs> but, as a bit of a result, Carl Anker has just pulled something special out of his bag. Carl, what have you brought us? Uh, I brought a special edition candy kittens, which are that fancy sweet from uh, your man off Made in Chelsea. So Nice. Tastes very sweet, don't they? Yeah. A bit like that victory. Um, right, let's talk about transfers, because the window's closed. Uh, we reflected upon it a little bit. Uh, after the Leicester game the other night considering that was the the night of deadline day but since Laurie you've got a piece that's gone on the Athletic about the fact that Manchester United appeared to double their transfer budget in the final days of the window and um, well they're all in the team that's the thing it's only Casemiro who's on the bench at the moment the rest of them have improved the first 11 so it seems quite focused in that sense the work that's been done yeah for sure and We've obviously spoken about the 2013 window where it was a new chief executive, new manager, and a new um, recruitment sort of set up, I suppose. And they ended up with Marion Fellaini after the deadline, basically, um, and it wasn't any good. Um, this set of signings actually going straight into the team. Um, so that's clearly something that they have taken a lead from with Ericsson Haag. You know, Ericsson Haag has absolutely driven this style of recruitment that has been done this window. Uh, Casemiro, the exception, I would say, in terms of him being made available by agents. You know, he wanted to leave Real Madrid. And that got communicated to Ericsson Haag leaving now. Wayne Green. Uh, it's over for the fans. We've waited a long, long time. There we go. It sort of shows the atmosphere around the place, doesn't it? It does because there's probably more fans waiting outside today than there has been in the recent matches. He's just going across now to sign a few autographs and post some selfies as well. Um, United have certainly backed this manager, Andy. Um, there's so many different facets to this conversation, but the fact remains that he has been backed to the tune of the biggest transfer fund in a single window for any Manchester United manager in, in history. Yeah. I think there's two or three factors there. United became desperate is maybe too strong a word, but towards the end of the window, uh, clubs knew that United were going to spend big. And Ajax was the club who United did the most business with. Ajax don't need the money. As I said in the previous podcast, what are they going to spend it on? 
I think seven away defeats is a very factual statement of where Manchester United were at, showing that the team needed improvement. I think the upturn since the majority of the players have come in shows some early vindication in those signings. And they've gone with the manager. Now, Laurie's piece quite rightly said they've gone with the manager. But there is also a risk to that because if the manager doesn't work out, then you're left with a load of the manager's players. Now, we're speaking here in the post-glow of a home win against Arsenal and everything's great and Eric Ten Hag's just stood over there and everyone Smiling. loves him and I hope that carries on and Manchester United become great again and get back in the Champions League and we start playing European Champions League semi-finals and, and finals, fantastic. But if it doesn't work out and it hasn't worked out in the post-Ferguson era under several different managers, then you are left with players on huge contracts. I'm an optimist. I hope it works out. I've been encouraged by every single one of those new signings so far. I actually thought today Malassia had his toughest game. I agree. I really thought... Saka gave him a real test. Far more than Salah. So psychologically, I don't know how he weighs that up. I also thought Varane, who's been one of the best players wasn't as good as he'd been in, in previous matches. Great, you're up against Arsenal. They really they were tested. the league leaders, they'd won they five out of five, so I guess yes. if you're going to be tested by anyone, it should be the team in that position. They're still the league leaders. At the end of the game, the 3,000 away fans actually sang a song and said, oh, Arsenal, top of the league, in a Cockney accent. Um, so they're happy with that. Carl's Cockney Sweets are fantastic, <laughs> from London, and I apologise because we've eaten three times as many as the rest of you. We've established this sweet tooth that you have though, haven't we now? Yeah. I've really discovered that, you should yeah. have seen him scoffing the jelly babies on the way back from Leicester the other night as well. And um, Laurie, one part of that article maybe that you've had to deal with, shall we say, over the last few days has been accusations that you're in the owner's, uh, on the owner's payroll or in the owner's pocket, I don't know exactly how it's been phrased or if it's been put that politely. Um, would you like to retort to your critics? Yeah, listen, everyone's entitled to opinion, aren't they? I guess all I would say is that I think I'd be driving a bit of a better car than a Volkswagen Polo if um, I was in the Glazers' pockets. Polo, man. Blimey. <laughs> I'm still paying for it. it um, it's bullshit. He does his job properly. <laughs> he gets sources who take a long time to trust him and he gets information from those sources to write the type of pieces that people subscribe to The Athletic for. And I think in the main people quite like what The Athletic has, has done with journalism. And just to say, uh, and to criticise him because they don't like some parts of the information. A journalist's job is not to do public relations and he doesn't do public relations. Sometimes you've got to tell people things that they don't want to hear. A journalist's uh, priority should be to tell, to tell the reader the truth. A problem in football is there's often very different versions of the truth. But he got appointed at the Athletic because he's a very good young journalist who works his arse off and travels a lot. It's very easy just to sit at home and rip off a comment and, and hammer somebody just because you don't agree with it. And we all get bits of it. I've done interviews with players who are popular that haven't been as good as ones that are unpopular, but because they're popular players, great this, great journalist. And then you do something with someone who's not so popular, yeah, not so good, you. How are you making it as a journalist? There's, there's a ridiculousness about our occupation. And I know we're very lucky to what to do what we do and to attend games like this, but some of the comments the other day uh, were well beyond the pale. 
I suppose I, maybe I could have been clearer in my thoughts on the whole setup. I mean, this is what the podcast is for. You know, we can talk more openly. That that piece is supposed to be information, really, rather than me putting across my opinion. At the same time, obviously, there's certain bits in there that I think you can read between the lines on. You know, for, the fact is, United have spent the most money they've ever spent on a manager in a single transfer window. I'm not saying that's a good thing necessarily because, you know, have you overpaid the players? That's in the piece. You know, United by a lot of people's opinion have overpaid for a number of these players. You say in the piece that a source told you it was perhaps even tens of millions of pounds. So I, I asked a lot of people that know a lot more about how to value players than I do and they were telling me, you know, 30 million overspend, 40 million overspend. And, and this, this is serious people that know what they're talking about. So, but at the same time, you have to balance things up and, and I can't just sort of, you know, put in one person's you know, estimation because that's not, it's not exact science, is it? But I feel, I feel like it's an important part to make. And also it goes back to, personally, United should be having scouts that are all over the globe, which they do have, but then that get fed into a central system and there's a, a genuine, honest conversation about is this player good enough for United? Is this player good enough for United? Get a train just coming past us. Throughout this, we've had people packing away metal fences which have been rattling away. Now we've had an express train go past, but we can still hear you, I think. Manchester United's a train that waits for nobody. Um, and I would like United to go out and get a player for, for lower cost value that no one really has heard of. Anthony, you might say, that, that's, a, that's a, a brave move for a player that's come from an Eredivisie, but at the same time, they've paid 100 million euro for him. So you expect a certain amount of performance. Where is the Luis Diaz kind of deal where you know Liverpool scouts acted really smartly to look at that and then the, the staff worked um, adeptly to kind of basically just Tottenham at the last moment in that deal. Um, Dejan Kulazewski goes to Spurs in the January transfer window because of Paratici uh, being the uh, sporting director at Tottenham. So that's his connections that work out. So that's what I was hopefully trying to transmit in the piece. That I don't think it's necessarily a wise thing to go absolutely all in on one manager. If it doesn't work, as Andy said, you have this Frankenstein squad that Ralph Rangnick referred to. And by the same token, United have obviously got themselves into a position where maybe they don't trust the recruitment department fully. You know, you look at the Ahmad deal, you know, I don't want to say the price tag again because I got into a bit of a, a, a comment a debate on, the, on this piece on that one. But that's something that came from the recruitment department. It hasn't worked out so far for a decent amount of money. So maybe they don't trust the, the scouting system, which, you know, John Mert is the football director. As I've said this before, Steve Brown is the head of recruitment. Although in the piece, I make the point that Steve Brown doesn't actually make calls on, on players. He, he kind of uh, manages the systems, makes sure that people are doing the reports in. Other clubs, they do head of recruitment do, does make a decision on those kind of things so I'm, is that the right thing for United to have that set up in that way um, so I, I do feel like hopefully the piece shone a bit of a light into what was happening in different circumstances um, gave a bit of new information to people hopefully um, it wasn't supposed to be uh, a kind of tub thumping opinion piece they'll, they'll come in time I'll, I'll write some columns but <laughs> this one was supposed to be you know 3,500 words of, of information and hopefully people can came away with it finding out something new it was a great piece. And I'm not saying that because I wrote 600 words planning to write a similar piece on transfer window. I need to be like Laurie's doing a bigger and better piece. Um, I think one thing about United's transfer window is what they've made six signings. Five of them are arguably first-team players. That's quite rare for a team of United size to buy five first-team players in one go. And yet, we're all sort of sat here and we can all think there's probably two or three positions they probably could have got another first team player for as well. And that speaks to this process that Ten Hag keeps mentioning. Uh, so, you know, all these Ten Hag's 
press conferences he's talking about the standard, the demand, it's a work in progress, we're going to get better and better. He used the word automatism before the Leicester game, which made me very happy. And I was like, ooh, choreographed moves are coming in. I was going to say, what does that mean? Uh, automatism <laughs> is, uh, it's is it a phrase that comes, it, it's a phrase that comes a lot for? in uh, German Stop. football. Uh, and it refers to short choreographed team moves. So very much uh, if, you know, if I move, if I'm the left winger and I move five steps forward, in a certain position, that means the left back knows what to do next, which means how it relates to the central midfielder. So when Ten Hag was at uh, Go Ahead Eagles, he used to do 11 versus zero training sessions where there was no opposition. He just made them do choreographed routines over and over and over and over and over right. again. Because the idea was when the opponent does come, it's so ingrained within you, it doesn't matter what they do because you're not playing to what's going on ahead. You're playing in relation to each other. And I think this is one of the reasons why Casemiro might take some time and why Anthony came straight in because Anthony already knows the automatism. Um, so yeah, that's another phrase that Ten Hag will use a lot going forward and you need to get more players that can grasp those automatisms. And I think, yeah, there's going to be a lot of overplay. I think it's not just... Anthony costs 100 million because there aren't many left-footed wingers who play on the right-hand side. There's also even smaller amount that know what Ten Hag football is and an even smaller amount that are on the age of 25. And there's even a small amount that are available that summer. So, oh, there you go. There's a lot of money. And also, it's late in the deadline. Yep. Ajax has only yeah. sold five players. You know, all the leverage was with Ajax. And that's what I mean. I think United needs to be smarter in future. Yeah. And they should have been smarter already, really. This is a system that's been set up for a number of years now. Ed Woodward was telling us about it three years ago, where you know we were told about the 804 right-back scouted for Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who wasn't even in the squad today. So, it should have already happened, in my opinion. But fine. It's a new manager. You've, you, you have got the checkbook out the one thing to say is there are people that are slightly concerned about the money being spent this summer does that mean that January next summer the budget's less does that mean that other parts of the club aren't getting the funding that they might need for certain things you know in terms of development you know extra stuff around the training ground we'll talk about a stadium rebuild I'm told there's no knock-on effect, but that they are serious questions that people have when they're looking at this kind of thing. That they would know what they're talking about. And and finally, it, obviously, it's not the Glazers' money; it's the club's money to kind of underline this this whole thing. And if they'd have been more proactive with you know how they do things, maybe they wouldn't have got to this position where they had to overspend. Um, and. I think it basically came down to panic, really. You know, after that Brentford game, there was meetings that, that happened, and people in the industry tell me that they very much got the impression that United were going to, you know, get the checkbook out and start spending big. So that then escalates things, and, and we know how you know the Marco Anatovic thing went down, where that then basically opened the door for agents to pitch all kinds of different clients because you know if Marco Anatovic is okay, then you know what about my guy? Um, so it was a, I think it was a real messy transfer window that ultimately has, has actually produced players for the first team but as Andy says in the long term we'll have to wait and see the developments give it a rank out of 10 it's difficult though because the thing is you could, you could say you could say 10 out of 10 because they've got players that Eric Ten Hag wanted ultimately or you could say it's 3 out of 10 because you know for the club benefit for the price that it's cost is it really worthwhile I mean probably Probably six, six, seven out of ten, because ultimately the, the squad has improved. Yeah, I was feeling six, I was feeling seven in that. You've got first teamers, you've addressed the problems of ball progression, you've improved your fullback areas, you've improved that wide. I still wanted another right back, I still want probably another central midfielder, and the centre forward question mark is still there. So, six, eight, four. You're asking us to judge players who play. I thought you were in the team at then. <laughs> Eight foot from 1995. <laughs> <laughs> what number did Nicky Butt wear? Eight. Right, that was so. That was a joke. 
flew right over my head. I think we can't judge Casemiro as a Manchester United player when we've when we've not seen him. So we're being asked to judge based on how we think it could go. Having seen a massive uptick in results since new players started coming in, so I think the players, I, I can see logic in every single one of the ones that have arrived. But the point Laurie made is: Have United overpaid? Is this going to restrict future uh, transfer windows? We don't know, but but we will see. But I'm pretty pleased at the players who've come in. United took a long time to do it, and United recruitment has been pretty poor since 2013. And recruitment is not an exact science either. The chances of all five of them players being a success are pretty small. But if we get three of them who are judged to have been a success once they've left the club, then that's not a bad place for the recruitment to be. OK, if you want to read more about Laurie's take on Manchester United's transfer window, it's up on The Athletic now. There's also Carl's piece about Marcus Rashford that we spoke about before. We'll have a piece reacting to this game up there at some point, I'm sure, it's as well. about Christian Eriksen this time, I reckon. OK, so you've got that to look forward to. And Andy's piece on Raphael Varane from last week is certainly worth a read as well. If you're not a subscriber, remember the offer is still on. £1 for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash pod to sign up. Here comes the candy kittens again then. Let's have one. Before we preview Real Sociedad. So we're going to be back here again on Thursday to do it all again. And I've written down, Carl, Dubravka, Wambasaka, Shaw, Maguire, Lindelof, Casimiro, Fred, Donny, Ronaldo, Elanga, Garnacho. That's 11 changes. I don't think it will happen, but that shows you the position the squad's in now. Yeah, it's... A strong one, and I think that Europa League group is a tricky one. Not so much that I don't think Man United will get out of the group, I think they should with almost flying colours, but it's a question of how many quote unquote first team players will Ten Hag have to use. I would prefer if Christian Eriksen doesn't play too many Europa League games, so you can keep him fresh for the Premier League games. I also, as long as he's not injured, uh, I would like Donny van der Beek to play at least half of these games, as I'm beginning to have question marks over where he is. Injured today, apparently. Okay, all right. Uh, on Friday, it was his two-year anniversary at Manchester United. I will forgive you if you didn't know that, dear listener. <laughs> yeah, we all will, won't we? Definitely. Uh, Larry Al, as Andy Mitten told me I should call them, uh, have had a, a mixed start to the season, shall we say. The ninth in the Liga, played 4-1-2, drawn one, lost one. Uh, they've not actually scored more than one goal in the game so far this season. And this weekend, that one goal came against Atletico, actually, in a one-all draw, which is quite promising now. For them, in terms of a, a result, what do you expect from them, Andy? What have you heard in Spain about them so far? Well, they're, they're the best team in Manchester United's group, apart from you would expect Manchester United. They've lost Isak, their main striker, obviously gone to Newcastle United. Not that he was scoring a lot of goals for them. If you're good enough to draw one all against Atletico Madrid, then you've got to be taken extremely seriously. And they felt, when they played United in 2020 that they didn't turn up. Remember that game in Turin? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, 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 they felt that they didn't show the real Larial in, in that match. They've got good players. I'm going to interview one of them for the Athletic, probably one of the best players 
in the next couple of days. I won't say his name until it's done because I think as a journalist you can curse yourself like that. They've got players like David Silver as well. I'm not interviewing him. Obviously, he might have worked that one out by now. He was notoriously difficult to get hold of when he played for Manchester City. So considering he's in a different country, although it's a country you're normally in, I can imagine it is quite difficult to get hold of him. Yeah, he, he just doesn't do much at all. Doesn't like it. Yeah. They've got some very, very good young players and they're a good team. I watched them play against Barcelona a few weeks ago. I was going to ask you if you were that game. 4-1 was it for yeah. Barca? Yeah, Barca were brilliant and that's like a sign of their resurgence as well. But I remember people here talking about another Basque team 11 years ago, Athletic Club, and they came here and played Manchester United <laughs> off the park. Absolutely destroyed Manchester United. You've been messaging Andy Pereira about it this week, haven't you? When I saw him go back there and he put a picture of himself with Ike Muniam, who's like a, a legend there, they were two of the best players for Athletic Club that night at Old Trafford so there is a chance that Real Sociedad could surprise when Manchester United played here against them in 2013 I think it was 1-0 they brought 6,000 fans you know a 1-0 victory when you're champions of England was hard fought and they are good they've got a very good manager I don't think they bring in 6,000 again but do not take Real Sociedad lightly just because you put four goals past them last time there's fireworks going off in the distance, Laurie. I think that's a bit much for the three points, don't you? <laughs> well, um, obviously Arsenal got criticised, didn't they, for celebrating after Fulham um, by some former Sky Sports uh, pundit who's obviously now over in Qatar. Um, so, yeah, I think fireworks can be just kept away for the time being. Um, save them for Mayo. And what about Thursday? You won't be here. We said this about today uh, and you've ended up turning up. I think you just want to go on the podcast, actually, to be honest. Um, <laughs> But what do you expect? I mean, it's the start of United's European campaign. In theory, in theory, they should be one of the favourites for this competition. And it's a great opportunity for Tenard to get his first piece of silverware, potentially, as United manager. But, like Andy says, we expect L'Oreal, there you go, to be the real competition in this group. Yeah, I think you have to look at Europa League as a competition United should, maybe not should, but, but very much could win. Um, and That might be the final that we've seen today. Yeah, quite possibly, yeah. Yeah, well, that would be a tasty one, wouldn't it? Um, I do wonder if they, as well if that actually played a part in the big spend in, in the summer where they thought, OK, if we back him right now, you know, if he, if, if he can start a, a season, start a, his tenure as Man United manager with a trophy, that just you know, raises the possibilities, doesn't it? Because it gets buy-in from players and, and it kind of creates some momentum. So, yeah, they should absolutely be looking to win the Europa League. OK, I think that's a good place to leave it then. Thank you very much for being with us on Talk of the Devils as always. Carl, thank you for bringing the sweets. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, that was really nice. You can bring some more on Thursday if you like. <laughs> Laurie, thank you for being with us as well. And Andy, thank you to you too. Manchester United have beaten Arsenal. And everything feels just a little bit brighter. Yeah, let's see how next week goes. We'll talk to you again on Thursday after the Laurie Al game. I've got to say that every single time now. <laughs> have the old, I don't blame you. <laughs> Cheers, Andy. Thank you for listening, guys. See you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic.